This is a News Laundry and Roly Pulse podcast examining the news media landscape. Roly Pulse is a digital initiative by Roly Books. Hi everyone, I am Chirag Thakkar, Commissioning Editor at Roly Books and you're watching this in collaboration between Roly Pulse, brought to you by Roly Books as well as News Laundry. This is the fourth episode of our specially curated video series on the media landscape in India. If you haven't already, please go press the bell icon and subscribe to Roly Books and News Laundry on YouTube, where you will find the other three episodes of this series. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. For a while now, press freedom in India has been under attack. If you happen to not be part of a news venture that is not in the good books of the government, reporting the truth has been a lot like walking on eggshells for many. Not only will governments avoid giving you ads and tenders to critical news outlets, routine threats from the state, the police and vested groups, Sustained intimidation, tax raids, cancellation or withholding of license are only some of the ways in which the supposed freedom of press in India is threatened. Regular harassment of journalists in the Indian languages in Tier 2, Tier 3 and rural India is rampant. A lot of it is not even known very much. A single tweet against the chief minister in Uttar Pradesh can land you up in jail. Journalists such as Gauri Lankesh and others have been murdered in broad daylight with very little clarity still on who the perpetrators were. The rhetorical question then that our panelists will try and attempt to answer is whether the press in India is really free. Moderating the specially curated media series with Roli Pulse and News Laundry is Abhinandan Sekri. And Abhinandan is going to be in conversation with Naresh Fernandez, Dhanya Rajendran and Siddharth Bhardarajan. Naresh Fernandez is editor at Scroll.in. Dhanya Rajendran is founder and editor-in-chief at Newsminute. Siddharth is the founding editor at The Wire. Abhinandan is co-founder at News Laundry. And for those of you watching this discussion, please support and subscribe to Scroll, Wire, News Laundry, News Minute, and support the free press. So welcome to this discussion, Naresh, Dhanya, Siddharth, and Abhinandan. Abhinandan, why don't you get us started? Yeah, thanks. Um, just, <clears throat> I mean, as a news professional, I... I find it important to point out that um, this entire um, lack of freedom that news has is, is a perennial problem in our country. In fact, I'll just tell you where we have been on the World Press Freedom Index. We are particularly bad this year. It's 142. Last year, we were 142. Before that, we were 138. So we slipped. Before that, we were 136. Before that, we were 133. So we slipped. Before that, we were 136. So basically, five years ago, we apparently became better. And before that, we were 140. So, so there, I mean, it, it's been moving between 122, 131, 140, and uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. About 10 years ago, we were 105. So, we've slipped 40 points in about 10 years. But we were never great. So, just want to, you know, put that at the outset. I want to start with Dhanya. Uh, Dhanya, what do you think is unique to the kind of pressures we face now as news professionals? as opposed to the kind of pressures one faced earlier. Is it different in how it is manifested or has just the nature of pressure changed? I think uh, there are two or three ways in which we are being pressured, uh, all media houses for that matter. 
I don't believe that media has been totally independent right from the beginning because it's either patronage uh, or there's advertising. There's some kind of pressure on most media houses, right? So that continues even now. The other issue is um, most, uh, at least state governments and even the central government, uh, for example, Andhra Pradesh has actually passed a government order saying it is asking all the departments under the government to sue media houses if they believe uh, some, pub some publication has published something which is against the government or fake news. So governments are legitimizing intimidating uh, tactics. That is one. Second is um, this overall pressure uh, through social media. That's something which has happened over the last five or six years or even a little before that. That once a story is published, there's an ecosystem which just goes after journalists, publications. And then uh, now we see that cases are also filed on the basis of what this ecosystem say, says. So that, that echo chamber says. So I think in different ways, pressure is being exerted on the media by various governments. So Naresh, uh, is it different now? Uh, you've been in the space for a long time, uh, probably you know longer than me and Dhanya also. Although I'm not sure you look younger. But uh, Sid is the veteran amongst us. But Did you just say you, you and me together? No, no, you're much younger. So I'm just saying. But, you know, you've been in Bombay. Um, you've been there during the Thakre years. Is it different? And if so, how? So, yeah, I think the sense um, that we had um, over the last decade was that our main challenges would be commercial. Uh, how do we resist the pressures of advertisers uh, to, and, and uh, News Laundry says this all the time, you know, if you, uh, if you depend on advertising, the advertiser dictates the kind of uh, news that you publish. And I think over the last uh, four or five years, what's really changed is the sense of uh, an overt political pressure. Uh, as Danya said, that comes directly uh, sometimes uh, from governments and from the ecosystem around uh, the ruling party. Um, you know, uh, when many of us think about the pressures uh, on um, that we face, we tend to ignore the fact that uh, Kashmir has always faced pressures of this sort. Uh, and in a way, uh, you know, sort of the Kashmir model is, is being exported now uh, to the rest of us. Kashmir journalists have faced physical intimidation uh, from militants, from the government, uh, Kashmir, uh, they've been very, there are publications that are very dependent on government advertising, which therefore dictates what they can do. And so I think um, when we think about our situation, we need to look a little more closely, perhaps, at, uh, you know, what's happened uh, up there in the north and try to anticipate uh, what we could possibly face. And the pressures uh, since uh, the abrogation uh, uh, and since the events uh, of the last few months have only got more intense in Kashmir. Okay, uh, now Sid, you've uh, you know been in Chennai. You've been the editor of one of the largest you know uh, newspapers, English news dailies. Um, Vijayalalitha was famous for being rather uh, unforgiving of any criticism about her in the press. Uh, same question: What were the pressures like then? What are they like now? Other than that there is an ecosystem that kind of legitimizes in the government's eyes that what we are doing is being received well. Just the same thing, the racist dog whistles today are more frequent because there is this, these tribes everywhere that get together and say, okay, fine, we are part of, we are okay with that. Earlier, 
there were these filters where the, the the thought elite would not allow that kind of rhetoric to kind of play out now it does but other than that do you feel that the way governments even come after news organizations has changed and tell me about your experience uh, during jalata because i've heard many stories about you know what a tyrant she was is that true or do you have any run ins jalata was uh... easily one of the most intolerant chief ministers we ever had uh, in india as far as uh, media freedom is concerned and uh, she regularly filed um, criminal defamation cases she would get the attorney general to file uh, these cases um, against journalists against editors uh, i was editor of the hindu for around 3 years and i think i collected two or three uh criminal defamation cases uh one of which i finally got rid of uh, just a few months ago when the uh madras high court basically uh, quashed uh, quashed the case uh and uh, in a way also pulled up the tamil nadu government for pursuing this kind of litigation so her her entire thing was that any uh any news report which showed her in bad light um and which uh, you know so I, i remember one of these cases was a story where the hindu along with every other newspaper had carried a fairly you know anodyne report of uh, a dmk leader's allegations against her where he basically said uh, jayalalitha is a highly inefficient chief minister and she she pushes off for holiday instead of ruling the state blah 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 completely you know uh, like it's the sort of thing opposition and government uh, frequently accuse each other of and she filed this uh, criminal case uh, and then i forget what the other story was uh, and there were other victims like smaller newspapers tamil papers uh, she would go after politicians so that was her and uh, i think the only uh, chief ministers who rival her today in terms of having an extremely thin skin themselves and also their their followers and supporters uh our uh, yogi adityanath uh, in uh, uttar pradesh and uh, mamta banerjee in west bengal uh the difference between uh the two and which is what makes it kind of more dangerous for for editors is that in tamil nadu uh if jayalalitha wanted to go after you she would do so but uh it was pretty clear that she was the one who would who would direct this entire operation so it wasn't really you know you you never had to worry about some random ai dmk guy filing an fir somewhere uh with you know and 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 uh, it was always you know uh, a signal from her from her directly in the case of uh what's happening today uh, i mentioned uttar pradesh i mentioned west bengal but virtually every state is that you now have i think you use the phrase the ecosystem or whatever uh, you know there are there are a whole bunch of politically motivated individuals who have taken it upon themselves to uh, defend the honor of of their chosen leader and uh, will think nothing of uh, filing frivolous cases and if their their beloved chosen leader happens to be uh, in power in the state uh, chances are that the police will go along with the filing of these silly cases uh, which you know at the end of the day will not get very far in court but you know good luck to you fighting these charges for years on end so so i think the uh, the the kind of harassment has become uh, i would say it's become it's more random more systematic 
but when I say random, more people are getting involved in doing this. And uh, uh, there, is, there is a method in the madness. I think that uh, I see and fear greater resort to, uh, to frivolous litigation on the part of political activists as a means of silencing reporters and editors and news platforms that they don't like. Right. Now, uh, I'd just like to, you know, put this out there so that, you know, it doesn't seem oversimplified because uh, often people say that, you know, what about the emergency? What about India in 1980, 84, 86, 87? So I think for our audience, one should be clear that what democracy is in 2020 is not what democracy was in 1980. And that's not just India, the world over. You know, whether it is, you know, right to information or just, just the nature of public pressure. Uh, like in the US, I was watching this town hall kind of thing in Florida where regular people could come and speak with the empowered medical committee that is set up by the town on whether they should be, whether mask wearing should be compulsory or not. So liberal values move forward. So A, uh, I, j I just want to make sure that our audience doesn't see that, oh, we are saying that it's better. 2020 has to be better technologically. But has it kept pace with the way things are moving all across the world? Now, on that, uh, Dhanya, uh, I was watching uh, Maria Ressa's interview. It was on Hard Talk yesterday uh, on the BBC. And I mean, she's doing a fantastic job of fighting Duterte and just the way he's come after Rappler and her. The, the point, I guess, the BBC interview was making was that he seems to have public support. Uh, of course, she said not as much as it is visible because of bots, but she was talking about it is the job of courts, countermeasures to protect us from such things. On that front, do you think it is a failure? Is it a political failure of not being able to empower journalists more and more as year goes by instead of going backwards? Is it a failure of our citizenry not being able to stand up for the freedom of press? Or is it a failure of our checks and balances, such as judiciary not being able to protect what is considered one of the pillars of democracy? Around, I think, five, six years ago, I still had belief in the citizenry that, for example, tomorrow, if uh, someone even shoots me down, that the people of this country, uh, there would be a lot of people who would be outraged. But after what happened to Gauri Lankesh, I strongly believe that it's a very small section of people who now want to stand up for the media or for journalists in particular. Whatever happens to journalists, whether it's a case filed against a journalist, whether it's physical assault, whether it's murder, we are seeing the, the voices among the citizenry really shrinking because there is so much of propaganda, right? That the media is fake, the media is feeding you wrong news. There is so much of propaganda against all the editors, for example, sitting in this very panel. So tomorrow, if something were to happen to any of you, the, the number of people who would have perhaps supported you around five, six years back, that's definitely shrunk in my opinion. Is the judiciary doing enough? See, as far as freedom of uh, media is concerned, we have not had any recent cases. Uh, I mean, I can't remember a recent case in which the judiciary has failed us completely. Uh, for example, there was an editor who was arrested in Coimbatore last month because he wrote about uh, how uh, things were not going in the right way as far as what the Tamil Nadu government is doing on coronavirus and, uh, and, and uh, fighting the pandemic. But he was given bail uh, by the magistrate. So there have been cases where the judiciary is at least um, given bail or intervened, 
but if a big case comes i'm not exactly sure how the supreme court or even some of the high courts will behave these days because some of the judgments uh, at least not in the me- not about the media but in other cases is not definitely giving me any sort of confidence naresh uh, you want to weigh in on that oh, and with the additional uh, aspect of bodies like the editors guild or the broadcast association what 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 can they do or what do they do to empower journalists and journalism yeah definitely i mean um, uh, i think we need to have a set of guidelines framed uh, for the police to decide when they will actually register an fir against the journalist uh, and i think um, that, that's been the problem they've been uh, all too happy to register fairly frivolous cases setting this whole process in motion uh, as you know the process is the punishment and so eventually it will get to a court uh but there's a lot of pain involved uh, in 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 getting out of the legal process so i think we need a clearer set of 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 a framework within which the police begins to uh operate that's much more difficult these days because who exactly is a journalist in the age of social media uh and that's been one of the problems uh but uh you know how what distinguishes you know uh scroll and news laundry and the wire from a facebook uh, post and anyway should a facebook post be criminalized uh so i think that's uh, one of the problems um but i think also we need to see what's happening to us within the wider context of the crackdown against anybody who is seen to be questioning the government so uh, we have the bima koregaon 11 for instance uh, we have the, the the student activists arrested uh, from jamia and other places for the delhi riots i think this is all part of a continuum uh and uh, we all face the same pressures and yes i think uh, we need greater public support and we also need uh, other political parties uh, to come out and and oppose this much more strongly i don't think that is any political party really interested in a freer press you think no and i think that's been proved uh, in this instance said you want to come in on the bit about editors guild and such bodies i'm sure you must have sat in these high powered committees with all the big editors of the country deciding how we should get together I, i mean i remember there were those famous morchas that were taken out during the emergency how united is the press let forget what people think or political parties think even amongst the media do you think there is enough of a critical mass which is effective and interested in standing up to the kind of intimidation that we face and was it like that earlier okay so <laughs> So I was nine when the emergency was declared. So I know I, not about the emergency. I'm not. I know you're not that old. I'm not. Uh, jokes aside, I'm not a. I'm not a member of the uh, the editors guild. Um, but I think that uh, bodies like uh, like that or other journalists associations have a, have a responsibility to to speak out, and they are doing so. I think that uh, the editors guild, particularly in the last year, has been quite active. uh and whenever uh, whenever i have got in touch with the editors guild members to point to to point out um you know an example of a journalist or or a publication being harassed uh, by and large they always acted promptly uh and i think uh, there is also a heightened global uh, visibility uh there is uh, you know the uh, south asian media defenders network there is the ifj there is if2 there are lots of there are lots of media organizations uh, for rsf uh and uh 
the fact is that these do make a difference. I think they do uh, get noticed by the government to, to the extent to which the IMB ministry has recently set up a committee to, uh, to try to improve India's uh, world press freedom ranking. I don't know how seriously they will uh, engage with this problem. But uh, I think that these statements, uh, they can and do matter. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's uh, a question of how responsive uh, a government is. Uh, and in a democracy, one would hope that they are responsive. But sadly, the track record has not been very encouraging. Uh, but more importantly, how responsive the judiciary is. And I think that, uh, uh, you, know, uh, there's, you know, there's no, there's no need for us to agonize over how we classify journalists or how we classify a news portal. Uh, because we aren't asking for any uh, special consideration for ourselves or any special laws. Uh, you know, we're quite happy to abide by, by the laws of the land. But the fact is that the way these laws are being uh, implemented by the police, uh, you know, misuse is rampant. Uh, if I were to, you know, cite the most recent example, two, two recent examples of the, uh, what I call the legal uh, harassment of Supriya Sharma at Scroll and uh, Vinod Dua, uh, uh, you know, at HW News. Uh, in the case of Supriya Sharma, uh, I won't go into the details of what she reported, but the fact is that, you know, one of the charges is that she has, a, you know, spread disease. Now, what kind of a charge is this? And what kind of, you know, in my view, a police officer who puts this down in an FIR should uh, at the very least be sent off for re-education so that he understands what is the Indian Penal Code, what is the Indian Constitution, what are his powers as a police officer, uh, and uh, at the very worst should be suspended or sacked because this is rampant abuse of the law. Uh, and, and I would say each of the sections that he has tried to apply in Supriya Sharma's case manifestly don't apply. Uh, or you look at you know, Vinodhua. Uh, in Vinodhua's case, you send uh, in the middle of the lockdown, you send policemen from Himachal Pradesh overnight. They land up at his house at seven in the morning and say, you better come for uh, the summary for questioning back in Himachal the next morning uh, uh, on the basis of a, a, a video program that he did where he questioned the partisanship of the, the, the Modi government and the Delhi police and the Delhi violence, something that you know, we've all done and is amply documented. Uh, so, you know, so I think the police officers who register these FIRs, unless the courts are willing, um, um, unless the courts get tough with these people, like, like one of the charges against Vinodua is sedition. Now the Supreme Court, we have 50 years of jurisprudence where the Supreme Court says sedition applies only when there is violence or the imminent threat of violence. By the FIR's own detailing, Against you know, there is no such uh, there is no such indication of violence. So, uh, I think if a, if a police officer willfully disregards what the court Supreme Court has been saying for you know fifty years, they should be hauled up. There should be some mechanism to. And I think were the courts to get tough with this kind of abuse of the law, uh, of course we journalists would would be beneficiaries, but so would ordinary citizens, students, um, uh, activists of one kind or the other. Even, I would say, politicians against whom these charges are freely applied when they are in the opposition. So I think that uh, somewhere down the line, there should be an understanding that, look, uh, adversarial politics is fine and everybody should play it. Don't involve journalists in your adversarial politics uh, and uh, f follow the rules of the road. Don't, 
don't invoke sections of the law that that, that are patently absurd. You know, so I think that that's uh, that's really the, the need of our time. That somewhere down the line, the judiciary, which at one point was 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 hyperactive and proactive in standing up for media freedom, today uh, seems to have lost interest. Uh, and I think that uh, at a time like this, when you know, I think was it you at News Laundry or somebody documented 55 cases of uh, of journalists yeah. being harassed. Yeah. Uh, I think the number may have gone up to 60 because it didn't, it didn't include Supriya and maybe other examples that have come to light. Maybe it's 60 now. Uh, you know, when you, when you have so many examples at a time when the public expects journalists to function as their eyes and ears, uh, you know, the courts really need to take uh, cognizance of this in some way and tell the government and police, whether it's at the central or the state level, that you can't do this. Yeah, in fact, that article is now being turned into a uh, a tracker because like you said from the time we published it within five days there were more cases so we figured we'll make it like similar to the HT hate tracker uh, journalist information tracker okay Danya, uh, this um, attack you know one, one hears a lot about it on the English media you know the Hindi media is the language media ignored on this I mean I, I know that there are you know we did at Media Rumble, there were a few reporters from local. In fact, there was one who was killed by the sand mining mafia. I think that was in Punjab yesterday, who, who reported for a local daily there. Uttarakhand. Uttarakhand. We had one uh, case study at the Media Rumble from Punjab. I think there was river mining, the sand mining happening. Again, he was killed. These don't find that kind of a, you know, resonance nationally. Is there a lack of coordination among news professionals across the country, across languages to really stand together and run and take this on because surely in sheer numbers of organizations and professionals and resources, there is enough to really stand up for what is journalistically right, the principles of journalism. Do you think we have failed ourselves in that sense of not being able to get together on that? Of course. And even when Siddharth was talking about how the Editor's Guild has been responsive, I think even their access matters a lot. If we are from organizations or if editors are able to access these uh, associations like the Editor's Guild, then they react. But every day, there are so many journalists who are being harassed, cases filed, people jailed or even murdered once a month or one or twice in the month. But how many times do the, does the Editor's Guild or such organizations speak up? So a lot of reactions in India, including the reactions that we all have, depends upon who we know, who those journalists are, who do they work for. I mean, I want to go back to that Coimbatore case where many of us had signed a petition to the chief minister saying that the action should not have been taken, that journalists should be released. But I know the discussions which went behind the scene, even to prepare such a petition, saying that should we, who is that person, should we support that journalist? I mean, go by the merit of that particular report itself. The report was clearly about how a politician was ensuring that relief was not reaching people and how hospital facilities were, were not enough. Should a journalist be booked for that report and arrested for that? Of course not. So, but since he was working for a smaller organization, many of the journalists were not even sure whether they should be supporting that person. So I think as a community also, we do not come together most of the time, which of course is something that is utilized by, by a section of people who work against us. And that political party or that group can change in every case. Like today, it is a ruling party which is against uh, you, but tomorrow 
it could be the opposition to the ruling party. So the problem is the media needs to be more organized. We need to understand that things are not the same as it was perhaps 10 years ago, where like Siddharth was saying that it was Jayalalitha who used to file cases. The ministry used to file cases. I remember there were cases, there are still cases registered against news anchors in Telugu, Tamil, etc. People who are simply reading from teleprompters. The policeman is not applying his brain when filing an FIR against a news anchor. So now we have moved from governments filing cases to random people like 16 cases against a journalist, 160 cases against a journalist. Our enemies are more now. The people who distrust us are more now. So we need to be more organized or this is going to become more and more difficult. Naresh, uh, this, this also um, relates to the freedom of speech. And on that, I find myself dwindling now. I'll, I'll explain why and I'd you know, like to get everyone's views on that before we wind up. Is that, um, I mean, I'll give you an example. I was talking to a lawmaker from Germany and you know, they were talking about the importance of freedom of speech and liberal values. And uh, that's a country where, you know, just certain symbols or certain actions are illegal uh, because they hark back to Nazi Germany. And while I understand overall, you know, they are very good on liberal values. Uh, I'm like, how do you reconcile the fact that you want to propagate liberal values in other parts of the world, like India, while in your own country, there are, you can be jailed for merely saying something like hail Hitler or something like that. So um, what I kind of got and, 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 you know, I had gone to Rwanda and in Kigali, it's against a lot to ask someone their caste because, you know, the Hutu Tutsi thing, like what it led to. Today, you can't even ask someone where you're from and that's, that's against law. One, one big injustice leads to rules that everybody follows. So are we waiting for one big injustice so that there are limits to freedom of speech? Because that has to do with the kind of calls that are given for like the Gauri Lankesh case. A case can be made that was because of dog whistles and the kind of commentary that we saw on social media and even amongst many political leaders. So could you come in on both on the media being organized and do we need to rethink freedom of speech in the digital age? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the old structures of media organization, uh, the journalist unions in each uh, uh, city, the Delhi Union of Journalists, the Bombay Union of Journalists, uh, those have crumbled, especially with the onslaught of the contract system. Uh, and nothing has really replaced that. Uh, again, many of those were sort of local city-based organizations. They, they were very effective in working across publications, but the multiplicity of media in each city and across the country, we're now so diverse, it's a challenge to think through how to link uh, all of us. Even uh, in the online world, some of us have been trying, uh, have been talking about, uh, led by you, trying to think about how to start uh, an online association. And we haven't even managed to get that going. Uh, so the challenges of getting everybody from literally Kashmir to Kanyakumari, uh, to use the cliche, is, 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 will take a lot of work. Uh, with regard to freedom of speech, yes, I think, you know, sort of everybody uh, thinks that we draw a clear line uh, on hate speech. Uh, but even the notion of hate speech has so been inverted. Um, when you look at the Delhi riots cases, for instance, uh, what all of us see is a speech by Harsh Mandal telling uh, students that, you know, this battle must be fought. Uh, 
using democratic means has now been called hate speech. Uh, so it's quite, uh, it's quite confounding to think about, you know, when, when these definitions are literally turned on their heads, how do you draw the line? I think that would take a lot of discussion. Or maybe Siddharth has better ideas on this. You know, I'm coming around to the view that uh, when it comes to uh, free speech in a highly polarized political culture like our own, uh, it's extremely dangerous to advocate criminalization of speech. Uh, or if we do criminalize speech, the bar has to be uh, really quite high. Uh, and I would say that the incitement or incitement to violence or imminent incitement of violence is, is where I would draw the line. Uh, uh, I, I recognize that a lot of what is offensive dog whistles stuff would fall below the radar then. But uh, if that is the price that we have to pay as a society to forestall frivolous counter litigation of the kind that Delhi police is doing against Harshmandar or, uh, or even uh, Omar Khalid, Omar Khalid's speech uh, before, before Trump's visit, where he talks about how, uh, you know, the Modi Sarkar is destroying India, we have to unite India. Uh, if this kind of speech is going to be called seditious, uh, you know, then, then we have a problem. And I think that the more that we attempt to label speech that we don't like as hate speech or, as, or to criminalize it, the more we are laying ourselves open to uh, a similar allegation being flung against us. And since... Uh, uh, the uh, you know the law works in favor of those who are politically powerful. It is uh, critical voices voices against the establishment that are going to be suppressed. So in an ideal world, yes, uh, you, one may have a different yardstick, but I think in today's India, I would rather err not resorting to uh, uh, you know uh, filing an FIR uh, like this. You know, there's lots of things that offend us, right? Uh, like like you know, for example, even the uh, the, the stupid comments that and ignorant comments that I think this guy's name is Amish, uh, Amish, Amish, uh, a, a TV anchor who said who referred to uh, Moinuddin Chishti uh, as a Lutera, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. So you can I think he should be he should be laughed at for being ignorant. He should be ridiculed. Uh, he should be made fun of. But do we really want to file an FIR and get into a prosecution and send the chap to jail? It's ridiculous, uh, you know. So uh, and, and and similarly, you know, a, a lot of uh, a lot of other things that uh, you know offend you or offend me or offend somebody else. I think just uh, you know we need to just chill and not resort to police tactics at the drop of a hat. I think this has become a serious uh, illness right now in uh, the right to free speech. Of you know, look, you and I, we get harassed, but we can still deal with it. Imagine the chilling effect that, that is happening on people who are using social media. Now, I recognize that a lot of filth and garbage uh, and intimidation and communalism happens on, on social media behind the veil of anonymity. But, you know, a lot of satire, a lot of uh, people venting, uh, you know, uh, social media has given them a platform. You don't want to criminalize that. Or, or if you, even if you want to uh, encourage, you know, good ethics, good behavior, good online etiquette, uh, the way to do that is not to send people to jail or to threaten them with, with cases. Uh, I feel very strongly about this and I think that we've really allowed things to get out of hand in this country.
you know, where, uh, you know, all kinds of cases are filed uh, purely as a form of harassment. But I, I just like to pick your brains because you all run digital organizations as, as do I. This is clearly not unique to India. Um, like I was saying, I was, of course, ironically, we are even below Philippines on the Press Freedom Index. And Mr. Duterte is, the whole world sees what he's doing. In fact, Matea Ressa was on the cover of Time. So just for our audience, we are below Philippines, <clears throat> where this man said that, you know, I mean, the kind of terror campaign he ran in, you know, cleaning the streets of drug lords and many other human, Philippines Human Rights Commission has said that the amount who died are almost six times more than what they claimed. But uh, it's clearly not just an Indian problem. You see Bolsonaro, you see Trump, you see Duterte. There seems to be media or news media is the enemy of the people. What is it? Is it, is it a byproduct of digital age that we had never thought of? We hadn't you know, identified or diagnosed. Why is it happening around the world together? Can you think of a reason? Would you hazard a guess as to why this is happening, Danya? I, I, I really don't know. In the sense, um, you know, when the Shabrimala, um, the Shabrimala season started and women were allowed to go to Shabrimala, one of my journalists were uh, beaten up. She was assaulted. Um, and there were a lot of women journalists on the first and second day when women started going to Shabrimala. A lot of people were assaulted. A lot of women journalists, at least six or seven. In my own family groups, people, including my own father, my uncles, are like, why should journalists go there? They should get beaten up. I, you have a, This is the kind of hatred, blanket hatred and mistrust on journalists and journalism, which I just don't understand. And I had to remind them that in their group, there was a woman journalist who's also an editor, whose journalist has got assaulted. Still, they did not go back on their words. So I think it's heavily entrenched in their minds now. And there is this massive confusion uh, which has been created that any media house that reports against a government or the army is also against the country. So that, like, I, I know so many people who have now started believing that anyone who criticizes the government is also against the country. These people had no problem when there was another government in power and the same media houses criticized the government. So, and when more and more people start thinking that way, their trust in the media has gone on. It's not, and I'm not saying the media has behaved uh, perfectly in all these years. Yes, there has been a lot of issue as far as how the media has behaved. But that hatred is so entrenched now that I'm not really sure how we are going to convince all these people that government, a politician, India, army are all not the same. And they are all liable to be criticized. And it's okay to criticize each one of these people or things or entities. Yeah, Naresh, why, why the world over? I mean, some, is there a, I mean, the only common factor is the internet, the digital age, social media. What has led to this coordinated assault on news media? Well, I think it's um, a, a product of the age of anxiety where we all really want to vest our uh, hopes in these authoritarian figures. And we believe that they have all the answers. Nothing they can do is wrong. And for these authoritarian figures, uh, it's important that there's only one message that gets out. Uh, it's their message. They have convinced people that they are talking directly through them, uh, to them, uh, and that uh, the media is some sort of distorted uh, filter, uh, if anything. Uh, everybody wants to speak their monkey bath. 
and uh, uh, of course then this is accompanied by a concerted campaign to discredit the media um, to suggest that uh, anything that questions the view of this benevolent authoritarian figure who knows what is right for us uh, that, that uh, the media is the enemy i mean we've seen this all over trump uh, barking fake news at the new york times and cnn uh, bolsonaro as you, you've listed all of them in the philippines uh, and uh, this is a completely astonishing thing as dania pointed out for the first time people sort of really believe want to believe in the, the, this one figure and believe that the, the media that questions this figure is the enemy uh, and uh, there is a small group of people uh, they read us as we know uh, all of us on this call uh, and they're passionate in, in their defense uh, of, of democratic values and uh, we can just hope that their voices grow louder and that you know the information they get from us will empower them Sid, why now? Why across the world? It's very simple. I mean, essentially, uh, if all populist leaders believe in uh, you know the, the military goal of full spectrum dominance. You want to, you know, you cannot allow uh, any counter uh, or challenge to your power, whether it be from the opposition, whether it be from the judiciary, whether it be from uh, other independent or quasi-independent institutions like. The election commission or cag rbi whatever it is and of course uh, the university system and the media so all of these are targets uh, and uh, you know it doesn't surprise me that uh, that trump and modi are united or, i mean modi is much more clever than than trump so he does not openly attack the media he, there are other people who do it for him but uh, the fact is that you know they have their own channels of communication uh, which they use uh, they they um, are you know at least you know Trump holds or has held press conferences where he takes questions after a fashion. Uh, Modi has you know uh, avoided doing that, and you know increasingly it becomes impossible to like for any routine story uh, to to get any kind of government response. Uh, you know uh, from a minister or a top bureaucrat as to why certain you know other than the MEA, which does regular briefings. No ministry uh, has, uh, you know, designated spokespersons to whom you can put simple queries. So the fact is that they have put themselves above uh, questioning. Uh, they believe in direct one-way communication, and uh, they see any criticism of them uh, as as a hostile act. I mean, the Solicitor General went so far as to, uh, you know, run down high courts because they were passing uh, uh, strictures against uh, various aspects of the lockdown. So, so, so this is the reality, and I have to say that among all the uh, populist um, sort of regimes, the media in India has it worst, because uh, in the U.S., um, you know, they have more than 200 years of uh, of constitutional protection, and the system functions in a fairly robust fashion. In Brazil, uh, to the best of my knowledge, the media has not been subjected to the kind of attack, uh, legal and other kinds of attack that we have. But here, it's kind of a free for all right now, uh, open season on the media. And I think that uh, in many ways we have, uh, you know, uh, we have pulled the shortest straw uh, as far as uh, the, uh, you know, populism stakes are concerned. And, you know, we have a major fight on our hands going forward over the next few years. Right. Uh, on that note, I'd like to thank Naresh, Dhanya, and Siddharth. Um, I focused this conversation 
on the freedom of the media as opposed to ad influence government influence because on the ad influence i'm basically talking all the time so i'd also like to take this opportunity to tell all the people watching this do subscribe to the news minute the wire the scroll and news laundry we do want to empower and strengthen ourselves based on your contributions and your subscriptions or your donations whatever the case may be because when there is a critical mass of the people who believe that they have a right to the truth and they have a right to good journalism it is enough to hold a large powerful government in place but that can't be done without just like governments are completely weak without some people backing them news organizations are completely weak without a lot of people backing them in the absence of other institutional frameworks and organizations and entities on that note thanks chirag for putting this together thank you all ladies and gentlemen and hope to see you again soon all the news laundry podcasts are available on stitcher itunes and any other podcast platform please subscribe to news laundry help us keep news independent Catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs, and sport. Visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.